There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Super Bowl-winning quarterback Joe Theismann hosts the 7th Annual Virginia Vine event this weekend in Middleburg, Virginia, to benefit the V Foundation for Cancer Research. I spoke with Theismann about his inspirational friendship with Jim Valvano, as well as memories of playing in Washington for Joe Gibbs alongside John Riggins and the Hogs. You've got to hear his memories of RFK Stadium shaking to chants of We Want Dallas. Joe Theismann, hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, of course, you're a Washington football legend of the Burgundy and Gold, but we are here talking about the V Foundation 7th Annual Virginia Vine. It's going to be out in Middleburg, Virginia, uh, April 8th to 10th this weekend. Um, this is your sixth year hosting. I mean, why do you keep coming back? I guess, uh, is, is it a, a personal cause for you, the cancer research? Uh, I think it's, yes, very much so. I, you know, um, I, I knew Jimmy Velvano. For many, many years, uh, we were friends, close friends. I was there the night when he gave his speech at the ESPYs on stage, helped him off and on the stage. And, um, you know, what ESPN has done in conjunction with them is provide a, fl- a platform for, we- for us to be able to raise money to fight cancer. Um, the event is called Virginia Vine. We'll be out in Middleburg on uh, actually the weekend, the 8th, 9th, and 10th of April. And you can go to a website called virginiavine.v.org to get more information. And we're going to have, a, you know, there's going to be a concert, um, which is going to be a lot of fun to be able to uh, be a part of. Maggie Rose is going to be there. We're going to have uh, seminars. That's on Friday. Saturday, of course, is the, we have a um, seminar and a discussion in the morning. And then in the evening is obviously the gala event, dinner and live auction where we you know, hope to raise a lot of money. Last year, through the virtual part of our, our uh, fundraiser, we managed to raise a uh, million dollars. And we wanted to exceed that far and above that this year. Now that we're going to have live, we're going to have people. We're going to have people back in the audience. We're going to have a live auction. We're going to have live people doing all that. And Christian, Christian Huff is a, a fantastic um, Tony Award winner, as well as an auctioneer. He's going to handle all that stuff. And and there's, you know, and uh, what's great is Jamie Valvano, uh, Jimmy's daughter, who is just an incredible human being, has the same passion and, and love for life that uh, her dad had, uh, is going to be presenting the inaugural Virginia Vine um, Visionary Award to Mark Lerner, uh, of course, vice chair of the, of the Nats. And of course, baseball season's kicking off too. So, you know, it, it's, it, it coincides very well for what we're going to do. And um Just a little background on what we've been able to do with the V Foundation is we've been able to raise over $3.8 million for early detection. And we can't do we can't do it without people uh, donating. 
And like I say, this is something that's near and dear to me. It's near and dear, I think, to a lot of people. Um, if your life and your friends haven't been touched by cancer, you're very blessed. But there are so many people out there that have. And we want to continue to fight and fight and fight to find a cure. And the only way we can do it is through financing and, and through donations. And I want to thank the sponsors and everybody that's involved, uh, the hospitals, the universities that get involved in it. And uh, we will be following uh, COVID-19 protocol. Um, of course, you never quite know what that is. There's a few days left, so you never know it might change or something. But right. I really appreciate the chance to be able to talk about it. And like I say, this is my sixth year of the seventh we've had. So um, I appreciate the chance to be able to try and help as much as I can. Now, when you go down, I mean, you mentioned it's a three-day, you know, event. When you go down to Middleburg, do you just, I guess, do you just make a weekend of it? Is that what our listeners should do? They plan on, you know, staying there? Well, actually, where where exactly is it, by the way? Is well, some of the events are at the Salamander, some are at the Stone Tower Winery. If you go to the website, it'll sort of direct you to the different places that you can go. Um, I host a dinner. Uh, I try and make the other functions, the concert, and and uh, we have a breakfast on Sunday morning as well. So it's it's a full weekend. It's to cover it's it's fifteen hundred dollars per person for everything, and remember that it's it's a donation that goes to uh, to cancer research, and then for a single day it's five hundred dollars. But it's it's a terrific event. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's the entertainment is terrific. The, you know, like I said, when you think of the cause, I had it. I grew up, I grew up in South River, New Jersey, and Jimmy Velvano went to Rutgers, which was in New Brunswick, which was twenty minutes away. Right, right down the street. I, I knew of Jimmy. I knew of Jimmy Velvano when I was in high school, and we became friends after that. Of course, what he accomplished at North Carolina State and the, the different places he did, and what a fantastic storyteller. And and Jamie, his daughter, just you know, she has really taken the bull by the horns and and gone forward. And, and done everything she can. And it's just a great organization. The V Foundation is, uh, has a wonderful group of people and doctors and scientists uh, continuing to work hard. But yeah, you, you can make a weekend of it. You can just come for a day or so, whatever you'd like to do. We'd love to, love to have you stop out. Oh, yeah. And thanks for speaking to Jim Valvano, um, just his legacy too. that whole don't ever give up spirit is I mean, even last night I'm watching March Madness, you know, one shining moment. And uh, his his imprint is just all over that tournament that, you know, that underdog run that, that they did. Yeah. Um, were you just inspired watching him, you know, having been from from your home state? I mean, was that was his whole don't ever give up thing? Just just uh, inspiring for I mean, like a hometown hero kind of a thing. Well, you know, I mean, I, we didn't really know one another. I knew of him. And right. of course, I don't think he ever knew of me. Uh, you know, I was in a little tiny town about a mile, mile or mile uh, square. But, um, I, you know, I just followed him. And after we got, you know, he went on to coach and I went on to play ball. We'd run into each other. We were represented by the same speakers bureaus as we as we traveled through life. Our paths would cross quite a bit. But he's such an inspiration. I actually carry his speech with me. I physically have the speech with me. I've, uh, it's an inspiration. I read it, you know, so often he asks you to think, he asks you to, to laugh. He, he asks you to bring your emotions. You know, those are the three things that he, he talked about. And, and really he talked about being able to do things. I mean, when he stood, stood at that stage, uh, you would have never known that the man was dying of cancer, but yet all you saw was this vibrant, intense human being with a passion for life. And, and that's what, you know, really with what we want to do with our research is, is give, give people that hope and that passion for life to be able to live every day to the fullest that you can. And uh, 
take care of the ones that you love. And, and, and really, like I said, if your life hasn't been touched, and I don't know how many people, I can't imagine the percentage is large that haven't been touched in some way, shape or form with cancer. Um, it, it's, I almost call it an insurance policy. If it does happen in your life, wouldn't you like to know that there's something there being done to try and, and affect your life or a friend's life or a family member's life? And that's, what, that's really what we're trying to do with the V Foundation. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all I mean, I lost a grandfather to cancer. I'm sure every, everyone's everyone listening has 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 been touched by it. And if, if you have a second, pull up that um, Jimmy V speech uh, on YouTube and the three things to do every day, it'll, it gives you goosebumps every time. That's so cool. You carry it with you every time. I, it just like I say, I, you know, sometimes when things get so crazy in my life, I just take a step back and just read the entire speech. Like I said, I was there that night. I had, yeah. you know, um, I had the privilege to help Jimmy off and on the stage and sat right there and watched, watched him, uh, you know, perform magic. And, you, you know, what ESPN has done getting behind it is so in incredibly wonderful. And I really want to get the word out more and more to people that the V Foundation needs the donations to be able to continue the research that we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hopefully people listen to this, will buy some tickets and the, that will go to the fundraising for sure. Look forward to seeing them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you got time for some football questions? I, sure, I love that. Absolutely. All right, definitely. Well, you mentioned, you know, growing up in um, in New Jersey. It's it, remind our listeners: Is it true you played in high school with Drew Pearson for your yeah. future rival on the Cowboys? <laughs> Drew was my wide receiver in high school. As a matter of fact, the first pass Drew caught was like a sixty-five yard touchdown pass, um, and it was really funny. I, I went to his induction into the Hall of Fame, and like we, you know, we've been friends for over fifty plus years, um, and. I, I just, I laugh because the Drew Pearson that I watched play for the Dallas Cowboys was the same exact Drew Pearson that I had, a, had the privilege to throw the ball to in high school. His mannerisms were the same. He ran the same. Um, it was just, it was, it's phenomenal. And I, I had a chance to look at that, that us playing together. And it's amazing how similar he was, is now to what he was before. But yeah, Drew was my wide receiver in high school. And, uh, I thank him for everything he did for me. <laughs> Man, can you imagine? I can't imagine going up against Joe Theismann, Drew Pearson connection in high school. That's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, then from there, you know, you get the scholarship to Notre Dame. Iconic, iconic school. So cool you got to play there. Um, I think, I, I believe you guys lost to Texas in the Cotton Bowl in like 70, but then you came back and beat him again in the Cotton Bowl right. again in 71. Uh, right. Just memories of the college days. And um, I, I know you you were in the Heisman race. And is that is that when you changed from Thiesman to Thiesman? Well, actually, everybody, you know, everybody. That says, That's I, apocryphal. I, 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 everybody says I changed, but actually it was Roger <laughs> Valdeseri, our public relations director, that made the suggestion to me. Yeah. And uh, I called my dad to to confirm the pronunciation of our last name he thought i thought i think he thought it was nuts it was like you know what are you doing in college you're calling me about your last name and uh then uh roger proceeded to explain to me that uh you know my last name was pronounced uh thiesman like in heisman yeah. and um the name stayed with me i mean it's been 50 plus years it's created a brand of who i am Jeez. and it all uh it all changed uh you know back in at the university I, but i love the university there's so many wonderful things about it there's so many uh you know, we have such great athletic and academic programs our women are just phenomenal winning you know soccer tournaments um yeah. lacrosse tournaments basketball tournaments and you know our football program i think is is really been handed off to a terrific individual in, in marcus freeman taking over for brian kelly 
Um, I, I think it's, you know, the program's in really, really good hands going forward and huge game. All right, we open in Columbus, Ohio against Ohio State. I get this. You know, one of us is going to find out uh, whether, you know, what the rest of the year is almost going to look like going forward after after that particular game. But the rivalries that were created, the friendships that I created at the university. And I, I tell people all the time, they say, well, where'd you go to school? I said, I went to a small school in the Midwest called the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> everybody, everybody laughs. We only had about 7,800 students and it was all male at that time. Right. But there, it, it's a, it was a small university, but of course it had a big legacy. Oh, it, it has a big legacy. It's very cool that you're still such a, a huge Fighting Irish fan there. I mean, how can you not be? The The legacy is is iconic. Um, well, talk about when you when you first come in with Washington then. Because I know you got what drafted by the Dolphins and, and the Minnesota Twins. Could have gone baseball too, but bounced around, you know, the Canadian Football League. Finally come to Washington. How important was it that, you know, you had some other skill sets there? Because Billy Kilmer was the quarterback. Before you got to actually do some QBing, you did some punt returning. So how cool, yeah. how important was it that you were, you know, multifaceted there well when I came to town in 74 I was you know I had a mindset that I was I wanted to learn the game I wanted to come back and play in the United States I loved Canada I would have stayed at least another three or four years but uh, our owner decided to economically change things and uh, so the big contracts that some of the other people got weren't available at that time which is pretty much the way things are today now too to be honest with you <laughs> it seems like i've it seems like i've missed windows in football and now in broadcasting <laughs> you look at some of the numbers but i came to washington and uh, sat behind billy and sunny and when you're competing for a job you don't necessarily look at it as a learning process but in hindsight, as I looked back, I looked at the incredible abilities of Sonny to throw the football and lead a football team. And Billy's leadership skills were unbelievable. Billy couldn't throw the ball like Sonny, but honest to goodness, the guys would play their heart out for him. And I think that's, uh, that's a tremendous compliment and credit to Billy for his leadership skills. He was one of the toughest people I've ever been around in my life. And of course, we just lost a great, great individual in Charlie Taylor. Uh, Charlie just passed, um, you know, Bobby Mitchell a year ago, and and now Charlie is has been gone. And, you know, these are guys that I, I got to know, knew very well. And and as a matter of fact, when Charlie set the NFL receiving record, I had a chance to throw him the pass against the Chicago Bears in the third quarter wow. uh, of that particular game. And uh, I'd see him all the time, lived really just sort of down the street from him a little bit when I lived in Reston, Virginia. And, uh, and so were there so many unique characters were a part of the football team then. I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. Then I, Jack Pardee gave me the chance to play in 78 and Coach Gibbs came in in 81 and we sort of took off from there. And then, uh, you know, now we're, we're, I think Ron's doing a terrific job putting this program back together. There's some pieces that, that have to be filled going forward. I think Carson Wentz has got a tremendous opportunity ahead of him right now to be able to, uh, to sort of, you know, reignite his career uh get it going in the right direction uh, there's places that i'm sure they're going to fill in the draft and, and you know I, i'm excited about what the commanders are going to be able to do and it'd be, you know, people ask me too about the name and if we win i don't think anybody's really going to care what the name is but uh, going forward it's a chance for these young guys to create a legacy of their own they're they're really going to start creating a history this year of their own and uh I hope it's, you know, if you start winning, people are going to start coming out and getting excited. That's the big thing. 
it's all about and you just got to put a winning product on the field and and keep the burgundy and gold please and i think everybody that was I, that was a great decision by by uh by them to be able to keep the colors and uh you know you you're attached to the history of what the team accomplished but you also now are moving forward uh with a different name Right. Well, before we run, we got to hit that 82 season because there's so many memories and you played with Drew Pearson in high school. And here you are, you know, it's we want Dallas, the stadium shaking in the NFC championship game. Remind me the the magic of RFK and, and just that 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 insane. That's a one of a kind, like all time day in the history of the franchise to be able to beat those Cowboys on your field and go to the Super Bowl. It really is. It, it's funny you bring it up because um I remember standing on the field and, and people, people will ask me, what is the most memorable game you ever played? Uh, obviously the Super Bowl is, is a, is a memorable, exper memorable experience, but playing the Cowboys at RFK for a chance to go to the Super Bowl was the game that just stands out in my mind completely. It was a physical hard fought football game. Um, you know, Daryl Grant making the interception, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, Danny getting knocked out. Um, that part of the game was incredible, but to stand on the field at the end of the game and listen to the fans cheer, we want Dallas, we want Dallas and pounding their feet on the metal, uh, seats that had been brought in to ring the state during the field with, because they increased the capacity. Mm -hmm. I literally stood on the sidelines and I get goosebumps telling this story. Every time my feet, the ground beneath my feet were shaking. I mean, I stood there and the ground was just shaking. I'm thinking, this is the most surreal experience I've ever felt in my life. But they were always, they were always a, a great rivalry. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Mm -hmm. We, at the end of the game, uh, we get the ball back with about four minutes to go. And we didn't want to turn it back over to them. So I'm in the huddle. I coach, we used to signal in our plays. They, we didn't have communicators in our helmets at that time. So coach Gibbs, uh, Don Bro is our coach who did the signal. He signals in like a, a running play, an off tackle play. So I step in the huddle and I go spread right, um, 60 gut or 50 gut. And um, Russ Grimm, my right guard, goes, No. I said, What do you mean, no? I mean, you know, coach wants to run this play. He says, I want to run the ball. We want to run the ball. The offensive line, the Hogs, we want to run the ball at Randy White. <laughs> so now you know now i'm middle management okay i've got a i've got a problem here i've got i've got a, a play coming in from the coach and i've got the guys out on the field that want to do something so i i went with russ so i changed the play i went i went to 50 guy which was an off tackle play right at randy russ had him right in front of him they've been battling like warriors all day so now bang we, we pick up six yards i look to the sidelines joe signals in 60 gut I step in the huddle. I go spread right, short motion, 60 gut. Russ goes, no. <laughs> I said, okay. Oh, Coach <laughs> Joe. <laughs> want to run 50 gut. I said, fine, no problem. Okay, 50 gut, first down. Finally, I look to the sidelines and I get the, I get the hand wave. It's like, go ahead. And we ran, I think we ran 11 straight 50 guts at Randy. And wow. it was purely to run at him. And that was the guys, you know, our five guys up front, just uh, and doc and, and Donnie the same way. They just took the game over at the end of the game. Of course, John was incredible. I mean, you know, having a chance to play with John was, was just an experience and a half. I mean, John was a character's character. He was, he was still is today. He's one of the funniest guys I know, but, but when it came to his work ethic, when it came to running the football, 
man, he was just a load to deal with. I watched him real quick. We're playing the, uh, we're playing the Detroit Lions up in Detroit. And they had a defensive back, kid from Notre Dame by the name of Luther Bradley. And it's like third and goal on the one. And so we get in our goal line formation. I hand the ball off. And there's a pile of people. And John goes in and he hits Luther. But I can't see him hit him because there's people between myself and, and where John winds up. Yeah. But all I see is Luther's helmet pop up in the air. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, my God, he killed him. John just killed the guy. The guy's head, head popped off. His head popped off. Uh, he did. He did the same thing to a guy by the name of Jimmy uh, Jimmy Johnson with, for the Rams. He hit him in the chest um, and knocked him out of the game. And I remember running out of bounds towards the sidelines. And this was a time when they didn't take you right to the locker room. Sure, they tried sure. to bring you back with smelling sauce. I remember him sitting on the edge of a bench, the Rams bench, staring out into space. Um, so John had the ability to take people out with his running skills, oh, but it was, uh, and I, I see, I had the best seat in the house. I had the best seat in the house. I mean, I just, I could, uh, I could turn around, hand the ball to Jr. and just, you know, watch the magic happen. Oh, Riggo. John Riggins is a legend. And in, you know, in that Super Bowl, you know, everyone remembers his famous, you know, game winning run against the Dolphins there when you guys won. Um, but remind me, I mean, you, I think you threw like two touchdowns in the game yourself, but I want to ask you about the play that you had to become a defender where you had the ball got tipped up and you had to think quick. I mean, that saved the game. Yeah. Well, that, that was, um, we were backed up on our own we were backed up and we were down. And I think if they'd have scored, I don't believe we would have caught them because their defense was that good. And we weren't going to be able to throw a lot against them. I mean, I threw for like 150 yards, maybe in the game, something like that. That's all. But, um, you know, and, and the night before coach said that we want to keep the game close. We want to control the game with the guys up front and, and, you know, have John run the ball. I mean, that, that was what our game plan was to be able to basically, control the game and, and at the end if we needed to do some things that would be different but we wanted to control it there and so we're backed up about I don't know 12 15 yard line and I turned to I turned to my right to throw a pass to I think Alvin Garrett and I came back to the left where Charlie Brown was and I threw it and Kim Bocamper knocked it up in the air and I mean all of a sudden my feet felt like they were in cement the ball I, I could actually see the laces on the ball it was spinning just in slow motion and, as, and then I, I can see Kim's got his arms out and he's headed for the end zone and I just made one last dive a, um, and managed to get my arm in between his two and knock the ball away mm. and I remember sitting in the end zone and looking at Kim going that was close <laughs> that was a close call guys <laughs> and uh, yeah it's, it's funny I've had I mean I've had moments I my one yard punt against the Chicago Bears um <laughs> was an experience that I had the obviously the Super Bowls the, the the interception that I knocked away and of course in Super Bowl 18 the one I threw yeah. um, and then having the privilege to broadcast Super Bowl 19 with Don Meredith and Frank Gifford not too many people realize that I actually worked for ABC that was my first real broadcasting experience was the Super Bowl between Miami and um, the San Francisco 49ers out in Palo Alto so it's it's been a it's been a wonderful storied career where I have a a lot of tremendous memories of the people I had a chance to meet and the people that affected my life. And, you know, I, I've said this time and time again, the quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field. Yeah. And I was very fortunate to play with a bunch of guys and a bunch of coaches that really made the game fun.
Oh, so many legendary players and so many legendary teams. I mean, do 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 you think the '83 team, the one that went and ultimately lost to the Raiders and Marcus Allen, that whole thing? Do you think that was even a you know ta- more talented, better team than the team that that won in '82? Or, or what? What would? Or what? Let me. I'll turn it to you. Who, who do you think was the most talented team you were on? No question, the '83 team was the most talented. We lost two games that year. By one point, one to the Packers, you know, by 48-47, I think. And to the Cowboys, it could have been 31-30 or something like that. But we only lost two games that year. We averaged, you know, we were the highest scoring team in football. And if, if you know, I hindsight's 20-20, so we'll step back. If we win that Super Bowl, uh, we win back-to-back Super Bowls, that team, I think, gets ranked in the top one or two in the history of the game. Be up there with the New England team that lost to the Giants. Uh, when they in were the, the 91 uh, skins, baby. And the 91 skins <laughs> were just phenomenal as well. Yeah. But I think that uh, we would have probably been, you know, ranked really high uh, because that was just, it, you know, it was really funny when we got into meetings, when I got into meetings with Joe, when he sat, we sat in our quarterback meetings and we went through the game plan. I never, ever doubted we were going to win a football game. The only question I ever really had was how many points were we going to score? That's how good I thought we were. And, uh, Coach Gibbs was just, uh, to this day, I, I talk to Joe and we converse and I say, you know, you, he's the greatest halftime adjustment coach I've ever known of and been around. But also when it came to the red zone, which is inside the 20, nobody like him. I mean, he was, uh, he, it was, it was genius what he was able to do, uh, getting, giving us the chance to be able to find guys, get them open, you know, or just pound it in with John. I mean, it was, it was really funny. We used to get down around the goal line with, uh, with John and Joe Bugle and, you know, Joe's passed on, but left a great legacy with his guys, the hogs. We used to draw plays and Bugs would simply say to John, we're going to block 10. You have to run over the 11th. That's that's basically, you know, that's basically what happened. I mean, we just, we blocked 10 and John took care of the other one. So, but so many wonderful memories. Oh, I can just tell you just smiling, talking about all these memories. It's fantastic. Well, before we run, I got to ask the the thing you've probably been asked a million times, the end of the career, the Lawrence Taylor play Monday night football. And what is it? November 18th, 1985. Right. Um, just uh, memories of that. And, and just uh, do, do you ever all these years later, do you look back and say, dang, I could have accomplished so much else after that? Or in a way, do you, do you look at it as, you know, the one door closing, another one opens to a broadcasting career? Like, how do you look at that pivot? moment in NFL history when it happens I wanted to continue to play I mean it was frustrating not having a chance to play but in when you look back I think at things in life I'm not a rearview mirror guy right you know I sort of like to look out the windshield and see what's out in front of me and this was I'd already had the experience of broadcasting a Super Bowl and I was hoping to get into broadcasting I spent two years at CBS uh, before I went on to ESPN so uh, I just, you know, wanted to move, I guess, to the next phase of my life. I didn't feel like I was done. Uh, up until I was 50 years old, when I was in broadcasting, I used to go to different places, San Diego, Cleveland, um, the Rams, different teams. And I would throw defensive drills. I would go out and throw the ball around with everybody. <laughs> and uh, so I was, it was still in me. Phil Sims and Boomer Esiason used to give me a hard time and say, Joe, man, it's over. Let it go. Let it go. But I just never could let it go until I hit 50. And then it was like, which, you know, which looks like Tom Brady might get to 50 and still keep going too, which is funny. Which is insane. But I, I just looked at it as a tremendous, tremendous, uh, you know, I had a, I had a blessed career, had a chance to experience a lot of wonderful things and make some great friendships. 
Uh, I still love the game with a passion. I still love doing uh, our preseason games. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see what our commanders are going to look like. Uh, you know, you, you look at this division, you, you look at the AFC West, for example, with all those young quarterbacks and those teams that have just added a lot of people. And then you go to the NFC East and it's like, it's going to be equally as competitive, but it doesn't have the same kind of, you know, advertised star power right. that the AFC West has. But I think, I think we have a chance to be competitive. It's just, you know, our defense has got to play better than it did a year ago. Uh, Carson's going to have to step up and, and be the guy that threw 27 touchdown passes, only seven interceptions. I mean, for, for the last five years, I believe, um, his, he's had, or five of the last six, you know, he's had a four to one touchdown interception ratio. So, uh, I, you know, it's there, uh, and it's a great opportunity for him, like I said. And, uh, I think these guys are going to be ready with the new uniforms and, uh, they're going to look cool out there too. <laughs> I hope so. And yes, you nailed it. Our defense has to, you know, we had Chase Young had that amazing rookie season as well as the rest of the D line. And then, and then we took a step back last year and I, and almost, I, I don't know what was happening, whether people were freelancing and not playing the scheme or what, I don't know. We'd have to ask Ron Rivera, but um, I want to see everyone rallying around the ball again. And uh, I want to see Ron throwing some, you know, so throwing some David and Goliath stones at the wall again, you know, let's get fired up again, man. <laughs> It'd be exciting to get everybody uh, up off their, off their chairs and up off their seats and being able to cheer. And like I said, it's, and when you put the product out there, everybody's going to get excited about it. And then that's what we're hoping for this year. Absolutely. But before that, you know, that'll be in the fall. Uh, but right now, most importantly, uh, come check out Joe Theismann at the V Foundation's seventh annual Virginia Vine event out in Middleburg, Virginia. It's going to be April 8th to 10th. Um, again, it's for the, you know, the V Foundation's fight against cancer, which has raised $3.8 million in early detection research here. So uh, your ticket price will go to a good cause. There. Joe Theismann, uh, the legend. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. This was great. It was great visiting with you. Thank you. Take care and, and hope to see everybody out there. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.